Kia ora everyone. This episode of The Stag Raw is brought to you by Shearsies. After COVID last year, I wanted to start putting away some money to create a little bit of a nest egg on top of what I was already doing with KiwiSaver. Shearsies allowed me to invest $25 a week in the share market and see the returns. If you'd like to start investing in the share market, follow the link in the show notes and you'll receive $5 to go towards your first investment. Check it out in the show notes. Follow the link to Shearsies. Yeah. Laura Coot, how's life? Um, like a few people, I was, you know, lockdown was the great time for connecting while everyone was twiddling their thumbs at home. I was luckily on a farm, mm. which was awesome. So I had uh, mm. 300, 300 odd hectares to walk around on and, and um, learn some new skills. But what wasn't so great for you, mate, you just got into a <laughs> great new venture. You'd been on country calendar and Shit, no buses. <laughs> mate, mate, we, we're, just, we're just ripping the Band-Aid off and going straight into the hardship with this chat. I love it. Um, yeah, lockdown really initially sucked quite hard for me. So I, as short as I can make this story, started my career in corporate, threw in the money. What was, and what the, was corporate, by the way? Uh, I. I've been, trying to piece, I've been trying to piece the corporate thing together, listen to um, Starbucks <laughs> and Lattes, and then I heard real estate the other day and money and flying mm. around the world, living in South Africa. I was like, what is this thing? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess to take you back, I, start, I studied a BSc originally and was going to be a physio, but then I got swept up managing bars and restaurants, as you do when you're a Scarfy in Dunedin. Yeah, yeah. Loved it. Loved, loved the whole management side of it. Which bar? Did an MBA. Uh, I started South Bar actually, um, which was the old two beers. Um, yeah, I used no, to run the Albert Arms. I was a South, South, South Bar kid. Yeah. Where are you? 2009 and 10, I was there. So, yeah, six, six I years. I would have South been behind bar the bar. Awesome. Yeah, 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 nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, was, that was my wee baby. Um, did an MBA. My first job out of that was corporate finance for Deloitte in Wellington. Then I was dating a rugby player who uh, was not the greatest of men and I was young and stupid in my 20s and I quit my career at Deloitte to go follow him to Dublin. He got a a contract playing for Leinster over there. So I did some contract work um, for Deloitte over there and rode horses. Then we moved to South Africa again on his contract and I worked in advertising uh, as an account manager for a strategy ad agency um, then he retired from rugby moved back to the Hawks Bay so I followed him um, I made a really bad investment um, invested all my money with a dude who was running a Ponzi scheme and so Shit. a week before I came back to New Zealand I found out that all my money had gone and getting just another corporate job was never going to pay off um, my debt that I had just incurred by traveling and hunting through South Africa um, and lower Africa um, so I got a job uh, in a desperate attempt to make some quick money as a real estate agent. So I worked for Tremaine's in Hastings for a couple of years. Then I started their property management um, division. And then I went to Auckland. Um, I was in property consulting and then market segmentation manager for a cyber analytics company. Then, <laughs> I know, then I started seeing the light and realizing, I mean, my lowest point in my life ever was when I was in Auckland. I was making really shitty decisions, hated who I was and what I was doing and what I was about. And so I figured at least if I came back south, that might help 
a little bit. So I transitioned to the Christchurch office um, for the cyber company and was a project manager. Uh, worked with an amazing team of data engineers and data scientists um, to create solutions for Telstra and Deloitte in Australia. And then I drew a picture one day and there was like whiskey dogs, horses, trucks, jet boats. I had none of that in my life. Shit had to change. So in 2016, quit my career that I'd worked very, very hard for. Quit all the money. Clearly don't like money. <laughs> Moved south to Queenstown and worked minimum wage jobs, driving four-wheel drive trucks off-road for tourism companies, all the while trying to get my little agritourism business going and it took a couple of years as all you know as all new ventures do um, but if you fast forward to sort of 2019 I had staff I had international business contracts with bus tour companies um, I certainly wasn't working part-time for anyone else anymore I was doing my own thing and the company was going good I just started paying myself a wage which is massive for any small business owner that's a milestone and then overnight COVID came in and fucked it all up and uh, I had to let my staff go. Um, I, I felt like a failure because the business in my mind had failed. Um, it wasn't one of those things where you can just hope for the best because 95% of my revenue was gone overnight. So I, I didn't have anything viable to kind of salvage. Um, I was very very not in a good space um my now husband had no idea what to do with me at the time I was literally crying into a bottle of whiskey to upset to even bother with a glass and um it, this went on for about a week and it wasn't until I was on the phone to my dad one day bawling and I heard myself say the words I don't deserve this <laughs> uh that I finally snapped out of it because in all honesty, Ryan, to me, using the phrase, I don't deserve when things don't go your way is the most crybaby, whiny phrase in the entire English language. So I snapped out of it. I got a job teat selling dairy cows for 19.50 an hour. I'd get up at 2.30 in the morning, feed out to my animals, run my dogs, drive an hour and a half, get shat and pissed on all day, <laughs> teat selling cows and then came home. But like that was another real hard period. I was very tired, very emotionally exhausted, but it paid the rent for the business. It um, kept me going and gave me some breathing room. So all in all, um, once I made that decision and got that job, the last two weeks of lockdown were actually sweet. Um, my husband yeah. and I had a had a setup where we'd have to do like a workout or a hundred sit-ups and a hundred um, press-ups before we could drink each day. And <laughs> yeah, that worked well. <laughs> Earn, earn it as it is. Yeah, um, earn it. Yeah, speaking of speaking of earning it, why why does the um, phrase "I don't deserve this"? Why was that your rock bottom? What what about what's the belief around? Like you said, the most crybaby statement you can say is "I don't deserve this." You know, I've, you know, who, who deserves anything? <laughs> yeah, where's, well, where's, that, where's that come from for you, mate? Well, that's exactly it. I truly believe that. We as humans, we deserve everything, but at the same time, we deserve absolutely nothing. You get what you work for and you deserve what you earn. And anything that you create in this life is um, much more enjoyable, sustainable and real if you've earned it. You don't deserve a goddamn thing. 
Mm-hmm. And for that to come out of my mouth, I was like, you pathetic bitch. Like, pull your socks up and get on with it. What did the old man do? Did he, or did he just leave a little bit of a gap there and you t- keep talking? <laughs> um, no, I pretty much stopped crying as soon mm-hmm. as I said that. And my dad's amazing. He's like old school farmer. He has, he's got a very long-term view on everything and that, that, you know, all farmers do and they have to. And, you know, I do remember in that phone call, the other thing you said to me was, look, Rosie, your, this year is going to be nothing but a blip in your balance sheet in 10 mm. years time. You have to think, long term um you know there have been years with terrible seasons and shitty payouts where I didn't know how I was going to carry on in farming either but you do because you have to and you make it work because you have to and you know that was exactly what I needed to hear at the time I've never been the type to bode well with the she'll be right you'll be okay um kind of attitude I'm a doer and I need like I need like doing advice when I, when I'm struggling. And that was exactly what dad gave me at the time. What, what sort of sector and whereabouts is your man? So born and raised uh, up in sort of Arrowtown way. Yep. But he, him and his brother bought the farm in Mosburn, which is right. in Northern Southland nearly 50 years <laughs> ago. So he was sheep and deer. So I was brought up on a sheep and deer farm, real hands-on, you know, typical country on the farm upbringing. And he converted to dairy farming about 12 years ago. So Mm -hmm. still actively farming, has a share milker, but you can't get him off the place. He's nearly 70 and working full time like he's a machine. He's an absolute machine. Nice. And so how how is he sort of finding the adapting to the environmental stuff going? Yeah, no, he's really good. He's um, on the the Southland District Council as well. So he's very much all for it. He's not kind of your typical stick in the mud type old school farmer. Um, Change is coming whether we like it or not. We are the most unregulated farming industry in in the world. Um, We're very fortunate to have been able to, you know, have done what we've done without the regulations thus far. But change is coming, you know, and at the end of the day, most farmers they sell to a distributor like Alliance or Silver Ferns or whatever, and then they on sell to the customer. So it's Silver Ferns Alliance that is actually dealing with the customer, not the farmer. And Mm -hmm. I think if the farmer was selling direct to their customers, the changes that are coming in regards to environmental and, you know, water regulations and all of that would make much more sense. Because if we lose that perception of, um, you know, we're looking after the environment, we look after our animals and that sustainable green imagery, then our consumers might as well buy their meat from China. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, it's just we're lacking that link with the rural sector for the people that are growing our meat to the direct <coughs> consumer. And I think that needs to be done a lot better and that would help get a lot of farmers over their, you know, their barriers and their challenges in regards to jumping on board and just getting on with it. Nice. So, like, that sort of opinion, like you said, you've been all around the world. You've uh, worked in a few city jobs and a few various sectors and ideas and worked with various types of people. Mm. When, you're, when you're at, you know, say the likes of Field Days or, or the various events around Southland, when you go and voice those opinions, what's the sort of reaction? Uh, I never pretend to be an expert because I'm not in anything. Yeah. 
and everyone is entitled to their opinion. I certainly don't push my opinions on anybody. If asked, I give them freely and I back them up with um, why I believe what I'm saying. And I may get a few frowns, but most of the time, I think, I mean, farming people are really respectful of other opinions. They may go away and mutter to themselves, that dumb blonde, what the fuck does she know? But to my face, they're really respectful and they might come in and we, we have a robust discussion. But I'm definitely not afraid to say what I think. And it's not always in line with the traditional views, but I think there's a lot of us farmers that that think the way I think. Um, it's just not as um, publicly out there because we're not rocking the boat so the media doesn't pick up on it. Mm-hmm. You know, media likes to sensationalise everything. So they focus on the, you know, the black opinion or the white opinion. Um, there's a lot of grey that doesn't get talked about. Yeah, it was even sort of the main main thing going on with the uh, tractor drive the other week and what what ends up on the front of the page is some somebody's yeah. silly sign about something racist and you're like oh, that yeah. wasn't the point and that wasn't the majority of everyone not everyone no. the majority of the people there and you're like well you just like what like you said whitewashing the story and creating yeah. something sen- sensational around it and it's like well can we actually have a discussion around what people were annoyed about I know that'd be great and that'd be common sense and you know we'd love to do that I actually really hate the media (laughs) I think it's just so like I've actually deleted the Facebook app off my phone because it's just such full of shit and the news and the papers and everything it's just sensationalizing everything and um I just don't think there's a hell of a lot of truth to to much of it people just pick a side and pick a line and an angle that's going to sell papers or sell publications and they run with it. And it's, yeah, it's, I think it's shit. And that, you know, and I've had a lot of my um, success due to having amazing articles written about me and I've been on country calendar and the Sunday show and I appreciate all of that. Um, But as a whole, I think our media has a lot to answer for. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, someone, who spent many a Friday and Saturday night stuffing um, flies into the South and Times. It's a shame that, you know, <laughs> stuff is sort of centralised, all this stuff, and it's the same frigging story right across the country. And, you know, there's, there's nothing really local about the South and Times anymore. And it's like, yeah, what's the point of the frigging newspaper? And meanwhile, they, they go down this road of clickbait, and you're like, well, there's your bloody issue. It doesn't relate to anybody. Yeah, but people still read it, so you know, pe- people people must find value in it. But I much prefer to consume podcasts like yours, and yeah. you know, you chat to people in the industry, people out there actually doing it. Um, and it's a, you know, there's no angles, there's no agendas. It's just straight what's going on. And I consume a lot of podcasts and a lot of just unbiased interviews with people, and that's what I enjoy. Just good yarns, yeah. So, um. I brought up field days there. You've just sort of been there and, and you got to have a little bit of a face-to-face converse with a lot of legends around there. Obviously, you run into Tangaroa a little bit down south, but um, yeah, what was it like getting to, you know, press the flesh with the likes of Duncan and, and Kane, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> a couple of legends? It was, it was emotional. Like, emotional, really? Uh, it was, no, it was. It was seriously emotional because... So specifically Kano um, FarmFit, for those who don't know, you should follow him on Instagram. Um, Duncan runs the New Zealand Farming Instagram and Tangaroa Walker, obviously, Farm for Life. And 
you know, the four of us have been on many a group Zoom call. We've we've shared so many different ideas about doing stuff. Um, Kano interviewed me on his um, yarns with Kano, and it was a really intimate, personal yarn, um, which I shared a lot of stuff publicly for the first time. We know each other really well. We support each other a lot, and everything that we do in the industry is to help other people. We don't get financial benefit out of all the extra stuff that we do we do it because we genuinely are fucking passionate about our industry our young people um and just trying to trying to really spin some positive yarns in it and to actually I mean I've met Tangara quite a bit we're both ambassadors for GWD um we're both located down here you know we catch up quite regularly but I had never met Kano in person I'd seen Duncan in airport uh, a couple of times like passing through and we got to hang out and we had beers and we it was just it was so cool it was um it's nice to be in a room full of like-minded people who share the same values and passions as you do um it was a total buzz yeah you yeah, know I've um virtually known Duncan for a good six years I've met Lorna a couple of times his wife mm. And yeah, yeah I, I think it's going to be a little bit of an emotional time when I f- finally get to meet Duncan. <laughs> yeah. What, what a chat like, you know, you share, you share voice, voice messages across Instagram and, and the odd mm. um, text message and things. And um, Duncan was actually the one that managed to get me into the uh, Next Generation Deer Farmers Facebook page. And then that um, mm. allowed me to meet people within the deer industry, um, you know, people in the Waikato and Hawke's Bay and get along to next generation conferences and stuff like that. You know, just simple, simple things of connectivity um, and simple messages from people like Duncan is, is just what, you know, what the good thing of social media can be and, and really what legends there are in the real community. Eh? It's, it's bloody awesome. Yeah, 100%. And it's social media is all about how you use it and how you connect with people. And for me, it's been an incredible, incredible tool. Yeah, no, it's, it's lots of fun when, as you say, when you have real deep, deep and meaningful chats with people. It's, um, it's well, I think it's what it's all about, and, and that's why mm. I like it. And, and I do tend to spend a bit of time on it, but um, yeah, you can definitely uh, sort of brainwash yourself with the wrong stuff or the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's like in life, you have to audit the mm. people that you have in your life, and you have to audit the accounts that you follow. Anything that is not adding value to your life just cut it ruthless hmm. ruthlessly cut it like life is too short to deal with shit humans and life is too short to deal with just crappy accounts that <laughs> do not inspire motivate or entertain you it's pointless yeah so um what what are you doing with uh i'm saying first light but it's not first light fear light um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah are you you're still involved with that what's what's the vibe there yeah, that's my full-time gig. So uh, I've been running farm skills workshops for a number of years, like one-day workshops to build particularly young young girls and uh, women's confidence. So teaching practical farm skills to build their confidence. And so when COVID happened, wiped me out. The owners of Fairlight Station just down the road approached me and asked what I was doing. And I said, well, tourism's dead, so I'm going to get into education for women um, in the farming sector I'll just do some two-week courses and wrap some NCA credits around it and that's going to be my new path. And they said, well, we need to talk. So Hmm. they had been wanting to set up a farm training program for quite a while, but it's a lot 
when you're a, a very intensive, large working station, to insert something like that into it is massive. Like that, that, that affects every aspect of your operation. And they really hadn't found anyone to take the ball by the horns and get it off the ground. And so they offered me the position as executive director to do just that. So I am in charge of sponsorship, funding, writing the curriculum, booking the workshops. I'm on farm with the interns most days. So I'm learning to farm as well. You know, I'm new to this whole farming gig and I'm, I've been a wannabe farmer for a couple of years now. I'm excited. We've got a chainsaw course on Friday, mm-hmm. forestry course and shearing course next week. So I'm like bloody amped for it. And yeah, the interns uh, that have been with us, they started in January. They'll be with us until December. They are doing so well. I'm incredibly proud of their progress not just their practical proficiency, but the way that their whole attitude and approach to life and new tasks and taking on challenges has changed. Um, Their confidence has improved out of sight. And so it's an absolute testament to what the Fairlight team and I are delivering. And we had our applications close on Friday for the 2022 internships. We've got some amazing women to interview for that and hard decisions to make about who we actually take on. But that is my, my full-time gig. So I work real country in and around that because I'm still doing groups on the weekends. I'm still hosting stag do's, hens do's, corporate groups, families. Uh, I do also do quite a few MC and speaking gigs now. And that's all in addition and on top of. Um, mm. And also, obviously, the podcast, which I do weekly now too. But for me, it's all kind of the same. It's all ag it's all helping people it's all it feels the same to me because we're all and everything that I do and all the little projects I do it's all for the same same reason so I don't feel torn I don't feel like I'm juggling I just feel like I'm doing fantastic so last year I got to go along to Smickley station and see their sort of 26 young interns um and they're sort of fresh out of school that first year. Most of them come from all around yeah. the place. There's, there's a, one fellow there from Gore, which I was like, yeah, get on you, mate. <laughs> what, what's what's um, the sort of criteria for you guys or for you girls? <laughs> yeah, girls. Uh, yeah, so firstly, female. Um, and we, we wanted to make a really clear point of difference because there are amazing training institutes for school leavers. So Telford down here is just yeah. one of them. Um, so we have set our main criteria is that you've got to be age 21 or over mm-hmm. and you do need a tertiary qualification that's either animal or ag kind of related. So the what we're trying to achieve is not just women who are weapons on farm, but have over the year that they're with us, they will develop the foundations they need to become leaders and role models themselves in the industry. So our vision for the foundation is to have more female leaders in the agricultural industry in New Zealand. And to do that, you can't just give them the practical skills backed up by qualifications. You have to teach them the personal and professional attributes that they need to have the confidence to put themselves forward for something they haven't done before. Uh, like a stock manager position or have the confidence to say to their boss, look, I really want to spend some more time learning how to share. Can I, you know, get some sheep in and and have a go? And, you know, that takes a real certain attitude. 
Um, and then the main one is, you know, them just understanding that just because they haven't done something before doesn't mean they can't. And that the only limits on their career and their life are set by them. And if they remove those limits, they can do whatever they want. Now, that attitude and that confidence, I only developed later in life. I did not have that in my 20s. And I know exactly what I had to do to get it. And through, that's kind of my model. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm using to roll out on the interns. And this is the guinea pig year. So proof will be in the pudding when these, these women go off into the world. But I think we're not too far off the mark. Oh, that's pretty cool. I follow um, a few sort of girls and, and that are farming out there. Um, one, of, one of them that comes to mind is Heather G. Taylor uh, down, oh, I think she's sort of wider up a way or, or no. One or two might be actually. Um, and yeah, she's involved yeah. with, with local council and things things like that. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, I've been following um, Chanel O'Sullivan for a number of years. Um, and sort of she's gone to the Kellogg scholarship and things. And then... Um, Start her uh, own brewing company. Yeah, that one too. I'm just trying to <laughs> think. I think there's, there's another scholarship that's sort of um, people in their sort of 30s and they go around the world. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Nuffield? That. Yes, that's the one. Is that is that sort of the type of thing that you're thinking of that that you know really creating a well-rounded, well-knowledgeable, you know, woman to really lead? Is that the type of stuff you're you're aiming towards? I guess I don't know what the Kellogg and Nuffield um, what they actually do or what their vision or their mission is or what the outcomes are for their applicants, but we are wanting to build more women that will be leaders in our ag industry. So that's our, our whole mantra, our whole drive behind everything that we do. The practical aspect of it is because if you're working in the ag industry, the ag industry respects those that can do. And mm. so if you're going in as a farm consultant or a rural banker or whatever it is, if you can just jump in on the drafting gate for the farmer when you're going there for a catch-up, you are heads and shoulders above um, anyone that can't do that. So although the interns this year all want to go off shepherding next year and they have aspirations to, you know, go into farm management roles, who's to say what they're going to do in the future? But whatever they do, they will be helping other young women as they go. Um, they will be volunteering in their rural communities because that's one of our clear values that we set and instill. And they will be, you know, we, we will help them through their career advance and progress um, you know, they will always be able to use our network. Our graduates will become a network themselves. And the only way to change an industry that is really dominant by something like males, you know, it's a very male-dominated industry, the only way to change that is to insert diversity. And we're doing that by sneakily inserting a lot of women at the top. <laughs> Nope. One day we're all just going to wake up and there's going to be women running the egg industry. <laughs> kind of my secret little project. Bloody good. Yeah, it's <laughs> it interesting you're talking about being the stock manager and, and getting on the gate. I read the first chapter of um, Matt Chisholm's book that the other day. I think it's called Imposter or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's yeah. what one of the things he was talking about going out with his old man and, and getting on the gates and going around um, sort of south south Otago and, and getting back to the table and say so-and-so's got this stock and blah, blah, blah. but yeah no it's um it's, it's pretty pretty fantastic what sort of stock classes you got there um at Fearlight? Deer, sheep and beef so we're predominantly deer um, yeah. followed by sheep 
and then beef, yeah, where um, we had the Dare Industry New Zealand Conference spent half a day at our station a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we are one of the higher performing deer farms in New Zealand um, and it was so cool to see Simon, the farm manager and owner, just talk about everything that he does and all of the young bucks at the conference were just hanging off every word and it's it's not rocket science, it's just, you know, common sense, health, wellness of the animal uh and yeah it was really really cool yeah um family friend of ours um in, in northern south and that's what he basically said it's it's about going great grass and keeping healthy animals and if you Hell can yeah. uh, if you can get their uh genetics to shine then, then you're doing something right which um you know i've always got that one in the back pocket yeah that's it and like you have your breeding objectives you stick to them and you know then you're on a rising plane of improvement from there mm. Mm. Um, with the sort of tourism side of things, was um, oh, Sweet Tooth, was that being filmed at, at Fairlight? Yeah, mate, that was, was that... so cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've, just, I've, well, just I've, I've just been hard to get uh, Wood, Woodhill and, 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 um, they got, and we got to go a couple of weeks later to go on patrol and I was sort of yelling to the guys, like, oh, what else happens on? And he's like, oh, they've been filming Sweet Tooth out here. I was like, I think I know somewhere else where that show's been filmed and that was on the station, was it? Yeah, so all of the railway track walks. Uh, so that wasn't on the station. It was more on the railway tracks and and sort of the, yeah, the paddocks on either side. But the hills were fair light in the background. And yeah. uh, you look up the zigzag dock track that, you know, I've got a couple of deer in. And, yeah, it was pretty <laughs> cool. I was just watching that big like, I know where that is. <laughs> so did they, did they fire up the old flyer, did they, to, to film, film that? Or was that just? Yeah, there? they did. Yeah. Yeah, no, they did. It was cool. Now, I remember as a, as a young kid going to Queenstown and, and it was at Fearlight Station and the and the conductor let let rip the whistle and I uh, put the shits up me. I think my younger brother ended up in tears. <laughs> I, and I was pretty close beside him, I think. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're into trains, the Kingston Flyer is certainly something that'll turn you on. And it's been in hibernation for quite a few years, but they've got consent to go again. So hopefully this summer it'll be back on the tracks going between Kingston and Fairlight. It'll be bloody epic. Yeah. And hopefully uh, somehow we get a few people to come and come and jump on it, which would be, which would be bloody good. Yeah. Hopefully a few Kiwis. I'm actually uh, quite now that I've moved on from tourism quite a bit. And this is, this sounds really bad because I am still in tourism, I guess, um, particularly with Kentucky tours, you know, a lot of Aussies come over I'm just, I feel so privileged that we're in New Zealand in the situation that we're in and not in lockdown like Australia. I am in no rush to have those borders open. Everything that I could possibly want to do is in New Zealand. I I just think we're so lucky to have everything we do on a back doorstep. I just, um, we just honeymooned in Northland yep. and loved it. Middle of winter in Northland, Marswell, B, Rarotonga when you have, oh, yeah. you know, you're living in Southland in winter and just, yeah, I don't think we want to rush those those borders or that those tourists coming back in. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was living in Northern Rivers, um, New South Wales, and a number of the um, people at the gym had gone come, or come over to New Zealand and gone to Northland. They're like, oh, it was just like Byron 20 years ago. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> here, here's me, you know, from Invercargill, come to come to the Byron Bay area. These people, they're going, oh, Northland, it was so great. <laughs> It is cool. It's very, very cool. And so diverse, like the West Coast compared to the East Coast. And you've got 
you know, beaches and then rolling amazing rural settings and you've got the rich elite and then poverty two metres mm. down the road. It's just so diverse. Yeah. You know, I remember the first time driving up there. I went there when I was nine months old, so I don't remember it very well. But um, when I finished uni, I went right up to the top and I just remember going, man, there is like nothing here. It's Yeah. <laughs> you like drive through there, drive through these towns, like what are these doing? You know, <laughs> what, are, what are they up to? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, what's, what sort of missions do you get up to around, around the station? Have you ever gone over the hill to Mavor? Oh, I love Mavora. When uh, so we used to have all our family camping trips there, like over Easter and Christmas. So we used yeah. to go up there all the time. And when my husband went away up uh, Wellington for a stag do, I actually put a horse in the float, my three oh. dogs, and just went by myself into into Mavora. No cell phone reception. Uh, had the rifle, went hiking with a rifle. Um, took the truck up the four wheel drive track. Took the horse up the hill. Took the dogs for a run talked to no one for like mm. two days and just cooked my own food, drank some whiskey, hung out with the horse and dogs and loved it. And Mavora typically has a lot of sand flies mm. and, you know, the weather's not always fantastic, but it was bluebird sunshine and not one sand fly for two days. It was like paradise. I love that place. Yeah, no, it's, um, one of my missions is to sort of, do the do the pass from Greenstone through to Mavora, and yeah, mm. it'd, be, it'd be interesting to jump over to your side of the hill as well. It'd be it'd be quite quite the mission. And as you said, there's probably a few deer around there too. Oh, there's deer everywhere down here. Like you do not have to go far uh, to find deer, and even if you don't have access to private land, which mm. I do, there's plenty running around dock areas. You do have to walk for it, but that's what I love about it. I love the uh, the mission the yeah the adventure and the not knowing if it's easy everyone would do it and it'll be bloody boring <laughs> yeah what's with you and shotguns mate like have you been a shooter or do you just like like them <laughs> nah nah the absolute opposite so the the thing that i love about when i host my workshops for young women and i'm teaching them how to do cool shit like shoot shotguns and bat trailers and change tires and all that sort of stuff is I'm really honest about how my first foray was in each of those activities. So as an example, on a shotgun growing up, I was never taught how to use it properly. I've probably, until I quit my corporate career at 29 and moved down here, and I actually got a job as a clay target shooting instructor for an awesome company in Queenstown called Break One. And Blake, who owns it, is a legend. <laughs> and he taught me how to shoot to start with which is key and uh, how to teach other people how to shoot and until that point I was a shit shot on a shotgun honestly um and so a lot of people before like when I started up the business initially they were like you can't crack a whip you can't shoot what the hell business do you have starting a business that teaches other people how to do these things <laughs> like are you mad and it was all true but I am self-taught uh you know changing a tire I have hot, terrible, hilarious stories of me failing to do so as a teenager and young person. Uh, backing trailers, horrific, horrific until uh, the last couple of years. Using straps and tie downs, didn't even know how to open a ratchet. Um, all of these things I self-taught in the last couple of years. And I do not pretend to be an expert in any of it, but I am a bloody good teacher because I only just recently learned. So <laughs> I know... <laughs> 
I know what it took for me to understand and then do the thing properly. But now that I can sort of shoot and I am really passionate about teaching other people how to get comfortable with firearms and not only that, but actually smash the targets, I do refer to my new Beretta A400 light as being beautiful. (laughs) I really love that gun. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I do. I have a few shotguns now and I just, I think they're great. They're such a great way to introduce people into firearms and you get that instant satisfaction when you smash that target and that boost in confidence and self-worth when you do. Um, much more so than using an air rifle to, you know, pop a tin off a fence. And it's just a lot harder to teach people how to use hunting rifles because you need to be at a registered range. And, you know, um, again, shooting a target at distance, unless it's a goat, is uh, not fulfilling enough. But everyone can get that fuck yeah on a shotgun with some clays. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, I've got a bag just off to my left that I still haven't found a place for in my new new home. But um in the top of that bag, there's a wire that's of a, of a tie-off. What was the first time? Um, it's not a very good one. But the second one I did, still on the fence. So, you know, yeah. I, I, did, I did learn. I don't think. And I it's could... nice and smooth. It's nice and smooth. <laughs> it's not going to not gonna cut a dog as it jumps over. No, I think the, the one that's on the fence was was good. But, yeah, this, yeah, first, one, this first one was okay. I don't <laughs> think I could re- replicate it, unfortunately. But, like, oh. what, what's something like that, like um, – Older Lisa has just moved down to, to Queenstown, tying off in, in yeah, freezing, freezing cold conditions. I don't know how she does it, but yeah, that first time that you tie off of, of a, a fence is a weird skill that you never thought you'd like and hugely satisfying. You can see why there's competitions. <laughs> massively, massively satisfying. Um, and, you know, like there's, like you, I judge terminal knots now. I totally judge like are they nice and tight and like most of the time you can see they've just been cut and it's sharp and it's just like a that'll be right cut yeah instead of whacking it off yeah 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 uh and it's so much more satisfying when you make the handle wind it up she's off yeah, yeah, it's nice and tight and smooth. So, and Elise, Elise is a weapon, by the way. I know exactly how she's doing what she's doing. Uh, she's a weapon who loves taking on new challenges. And I think I thought she was mad, to be honest, but I totally supported her and her decision to go fencing in Central Otago in the middle of winter. But I did think she was mad. And she is just smashing it. Like she's loving everything she's learning. Again, another skill to add to her plethora of other skills. And she's, yeah, she'll always succeed in doing whatever she wants to do because she's that just that type of person. Mate, I'd, I'd uh, throw that compliment your way as well. Like, um, as I said about Matt Chisholm's book, being an imposter and, and like imposter syndrome is pretty good, but um, you've got a real sort of growth mindset. What you've just told us about all these things that you've learned and now that you're handing it on, you know, to, what did I say the other week? Something about um, when you teach somebody, two people are learning because you're reinforcing what it is mm-hmm. that you know and you're helping share the wealth. So, mate, um, where, where does the growth mindset come from? Accidentally. <laughs> Actually, no, probably a lot has to do with my farming upbringing. I, anything good in my work ethic personality, I honestly attribute to my farming upbringing. Um, mm-hmm. That sense of uh, responsibility, mm-hmm. of uh, the just the no one else is going to be there to help you do it. You're in the middle of nowhere. You've got to sort it out and problem solve yourself. 
and that confidence that you have to have in your abilities because if you fall off your horse and your horse gallops away, you can't just pick up your mobile phone and have a cry and call for help. Like you just got to sort that shit out on your own. And I think that mindset, I attribute, I'm very, very grateful for my very hands-on farming upbringing. But this confidence that I have now and the growth mindset, and I call it the zero option mentality, Mm. uh, that came accidentally. When I made the decision to leave my corporate career, I drew this triangle and I had at the top of the triangle um, a list of all the things that I loved. So like whiskey, country, horse riding, hunting, fishing, Southland, dogs, horses. And then down the bottom right, I had all of the things that um, I was good at, which was really hard for me to write because I didn't have a lot of self-confidence at the time. Uh, But I do remember writing, I'm a great host. I make a good bacon and egg pie. I am good at making people feel comfortable and I'm a good teacher. And then down the bottom um, left, I wrote down all of the things that brought me satisfaction. And to me, there's a difference between happiness and satisfaction. Um, Happiness is like me riding my horse, satisfaction is me teaching someone else how to do that. And my idea was that if I can find a career that had those three things, then that would be a career that I'd actually stay in. Because up until this point, as I said earlier, I jumped around everywhere because I was, I'd just take the next opportunity that paid more, that was different because I thought that would be the, the, the thing that I was after and the thing that would bring me satisfaction. And it just never was. And so the only way to get rich in anything is seeing something through, whether it's a career or a business or a new project, you can't jump around and expect to be fulfilled or make money. And so I had to find a career or a way to make a living that I loved, that brought me satisfaction, that I was good at. And when I drew that triangle, I realized there was no bloody job that had whiskey (laughs) and horses and hunting and um, teaching people and, you know, all of that in it. And so I had to come up with a company of my own. And the initial idea was uh, a company called Southern Girl Experience. And it was always going to be female only workshops teaching skills to build confidence it was just that someone early on said that's too niche and that's not scalable and then someone else actually my mate Izzy Dag said to me Laura that also sounds a hell of a lot like a strip club so probably not the name (laughs) you're the madam not the name that you're after um and so that that was my initial idea and from there I just branched out a little bit to real country so not as niche But when I started, I had no idea about tourism, no idea how to do GST. I didn't know how to build a website or um, create a social media account. I didn't know how to write a health and safety plan or what insurances I needed or how I was going to get customers or what sales channels to use. And as I said earlier, I was a shit shot on the shotgun, couldn't crack a whip to save myself. So I literally knew nothing about anything. I also had no money because I had the sense of self-entitlement my whole way through my career. I was earning six figures and I saved nothing. So I had no gear, no idea and no money. And that at the time I thought was a huge barrier, but looking back now, it was a huge gift because I had to teach myself everything 
And I had to do my own website because I couldn't afford to pay someone to do that. I had to research and get really creative with every aspect of starting my own business. And I can't even remember the mistakes that I made because mm. honestly, I, I don't see them as mistakes. I see them as lessons. And every time I take someone to the Mai Mai to teach them how to shoot guns with my shitty $200 synthetic single shot shotgun is what I started with. And my single loader clay thrower that I bolted to the front of the Mai Mai, I had the cheapest gear possible and was a terrible instructor, but no one cared. They all just loved the yarns and the authentic experience and the bacon and egg pie. <laughs> so as far as they were concerned, it was a great time. And you know, every trip teaches me something new and every step that I take forward, I learn something new and I'm incredibly grateful for that. But the end result of all of that is that five years later, I have absolute confidence in my abilities because I knew nothing about anything five years ago and look where I am now. So mm. there is literally, I feel like, nothing that I can't do if I put my mind to it because I have this zero option mentality of well once I decide to do something I'll bloody do it I had no idea how to start a charity or run a farm training curriculum I had no idea how to do podcasts but I just said yes when you know I was approached to set one up um I was a terrible well not a terrible public speaker but I was definitely not someone you would pay you know, two years ago, but then I started speaking in schools after COVID and now I actually get paid to flap my mouth at events and that I just apply that to everything in life. And the only way to get confidence is to earn it. And you do that by putting yourself in unfamiliar situations where you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you just do it anyway. And that's how you grow and that's how you become confident. And then when you're confident, you can make bold ass decisions like quitting your career. <laughs> <laughs> and chasing down your dreams. Mate, that's, that's freaking inspiring. Now, you brought up stock whips, uh, stock whips and lattes, and you said not only have you started a podcast, plenty of people have started podcasts, something like 3 million podcasts out there, but you got mm. you and uh, Wayne actually have a catalogue, which that's you know that's what I tell people when they say to me, oh, how do you start a podcast? Well, the starting's easy. Uh, keep doing it is, is, is the rough bit. And, and mm. you, you two have been doing freaking awesome and got some fantastic guest so i was, saw the uh charlie hall the other day and tony marsh and i was like who's tony marsh and then i was listening like, oh tony marsh bloody awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a chat um yeah. no, no disrespect to charlie Hall. i was also really keen on listening to him but like you yeah, know people yeah. like that kano as we talk about at least like um and uh actually strange the other day like bloody bloody mm -hmm. awesome stuff what what is the purpose of a stock whip i know like make this makes a loud crack but uh <laughs> What's, what's the purpose? Is it's that good, just something it's that, a good party trick. Yeah, party trick is what Aussie, Aussie blokes do in the Outback. Is it just like get drunk and crack whips? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, it's a shitload of fun. Um, it's a way that I keep my stag groups in line when they come to real country. No. Nah. <laughs> um, the purpose of a stock Back to Izzy Dags, usually. Uh, quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Southern girl experience. Yes. Laura with her stock whip. I can totally see how that sounds like a dodgy ass strip club. Or one that I'd actually like to go to. It sounds fun. <laughs> this is way better than a stripper pole. Um, no, in New Zealand, we use stock whips mainly on bulls and cattle. So 
you don't hit the the cows with them, but sometimes, you know, a hunt away, getting up behind them isn't enough noise and it isn't enough, you know, to get them moving. So you crack a whip behind them, gives them the bums rush to get going. Um, I also use a stock whip training dogs. So again, not to hit them, but as a directional kind of tool. So, mm. yeah. Well, now I know. And now probably a bunch of people know. Yeah, and um, the the other purpose, the first time I ever saw a stock whip being cracked, other than my granddad just doing it for fun, and it was my granddad that actually taught me initially, um, is out on the hunting field, but horse hunting, so where we hunt hares in New Zealand, so there's always a whips um, in the hunt that keeps the hounds, the pack of hounds in line, yeah. Mm, Very good. Mm. So where do people find the podcast? You guys are on uh, Instaface, as Wayne calls it. (laughs) Doc Whips and Lattes, the rural podcast that interviews epic people to inspire, entertain, and sometimes even educate our fellow (laughs) Kiwis. Available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts from. (laughs) How's that, mate? That was was perfect. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I I like that a lot. And um, yourself there, Laura, real, real country. We're, we're, yeah, she said at the start, we're, we're, we're done with Facebook. <laughs> Actually, if um, this podcast could get me 130 more followers on Instagram, I then crack the 10K and I'm going to have a party. Have a party. <laughs> I don't know why that's a milestone, but it just it should be. Yeah, so uh, get get following Real Country. It's um, some quality content, which that's uh, what we're all about. Mate, um, you've, you've talked about a hell of a journey, ups and downs and, and roundabouts and and it's um, not over, but what keeps you flowing along? I think your, your diagram probably probably nails it. Um, what keeps mm. you in flow? Good whiskey and some horses, by sounds of things. Good whiskey, horses, dogs, uh, keeping it very, very real. Now, I just, I've said this a couple of times before, but my definition of success has nothing to do with what I personally accomplish. And although I have accomplished a lot, in the last few years in particular, I've got this competitive personality that means that whenever I accomplish something personally, I barely acknowledge it. Hmm. I am already straight away onto the next thing and the next challenge and the next mountain to climb. So for me, you know, the definition of success is how I help others accomplish. And as long as I'm spending a big chunk of my time doing that then I will feel always successful and that in itself is motivation to just keep doing what I'm doing um and it doesn't you know a couple of years ago before COVID you know I got that satisfaction and that successful feeling um, from hosting tourism groups at Real Country helping build their confidence showing them what the real rural New Zealand is like now I do it by helping, you know, women become leaders in the industry, hopefully inspiring people on a podcast, speaking in schools, that sort of thing. And I just think I don't need motivation to keep going as long as you're doing something that really makes you feel successful when I do most days. So that, that's really what keeps me going. Powerful. Thank you so much for your time. Laura, you're, um, you're hectic. <laughs> and, um, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's uh, cool, as we as we said off here, to uh, not quite meet in person, but face-to-face at least. Um, and, uh, yeah, keep, keep doing what you're doing, mate. It's, it's bloody inspiring. Cheers. Yeah, mate. If you ever come down south, I'll take you out the back and we'll get you a dizzy <laughs> and um, we'll, we'll catch up properly over a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, for sure.